0: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. This is Spilling Royal Tea with Sean Mandel.
1: Hey, everyone. Uh, We're back. Can you believe it? Uh, on with me today is my intrepid co producer and co creator of Spilling Royalty, Maggie Van Dorn. She was uh, instrumental in us coming up with this idea and beginning this uh, back in. 2017 into 2018. Uh, Maggie, how's it going? Gosh,
0: it's good. It's good to be back. It feels so good and surreal at the same time.
1: Doesn't it? It feels like uh, no time has passed and yet everything has changed. So
0: much has happened. So
1: much has happened. Now that we are in this historic moment, which is really the focus of what we're doing here in season two is the coronation of King Charles III because we've just had the passing of Queen Elizabeth, 70 years. uh, She was on the throne. Prince Charles has been waiting for forever. And now everything we've been talking about with Harry and Meghan, because they've been dominating the conversation uh, about royals, is now being put through the filter of King Charles, right? Like, how how are all the stories about them? How is their life going to impact the monarchy and impact Charles because of this very fragile moment that we find ourselves in. So without further ado, here's season two. This is Spilling Royal Tea, a podcast that follows the piping hot stories of the British royal family, from London to Montecito, all the way to the upcoming coronation of King Charles. I'm Sean Mandel, a producer, pop culture devotee, and part-time royal correspondent.
0: And I'm Maggie Van Dorn, the show's producer, Sean's biggest fan, and his occasional sidekick.
1: In each episode, we will spill the tea
0: that's american for gossip
1: on the latest stories about the heir the spare and their kin tea will be served with some cultural context and history from across the pond that you can't go without so without further ado let's spill the royal tea In this episode of Spilling Royal Tea, we are catching up because it has been a minute. Before we turn our eyes completely towards Charles's coronation, it feels safe to say that we might need to cover a little bit of ground. To properly lay our scene, we'll talk about each member of the royal family, what they've been up to, and, you know, any bombshell documentaries or memoirs <laughs> they may have put out. So, I think it's fair to say we should probably start with Meghan and Harry, who are the reason that Spilling Royal Tea exists. Uh, You know, it's been a minute since we checked in with them. They're no longer in London. They are in beautiful, sunny Montecito, California. Meghan and Harry have been very busy. Obviously, they had their Bombshell Oprah interview. They've had their Netflix docuseries. Uh, And also Prince Harry's memoir to just be a couple of things. They've also had many other interviews, little skits and participation in philanthropic events like Meghan partnering with Melissa McCarthy uh, in a little video skit that was, you know, very charming, very cute. So they've been active. They've signed a.
0: Meghan did a podcast.
1: Meghan did a podcast uh, with her Archwell Studios and also, you know, they've signed that was a big deal that they signed with Spotify for that podcast and they signed a 100 million dollar deal uh, reportedly, I should say 100 million dollar deal with Netflix. And the Netflix docu series was something that people I don't think were expecting and that has really set us on a little bit of a trajectory to where we are today because it was released Uh, just, you know, very shortly uh, uh, during the same period that the Queen had passed away. And Mm -hmm. then uh, Prince Harry's memoir came out right after, uh, you know, a couple months after the Queen passed away. And that was actually pushed back because of that. So where we are really with them is that it's a question of whether or not there's going to be any reconciliation between Meghan and Harry and the royal family. And... There are these questions about racism. They are right at the top of the conversation around Meghan and Harry. Meghan said in the Oprah interview that someone in the royal family, a senior member of the royal family, had expressed concern or had asked questions about what their child, their first child, baby Archie, what his skin color would look like. Since then, Prince Harry has said, somewhat bafflingly that he never insinuated that the royal family is racist or that his family is racist. And people are trying to make sense of those two things. So there are real serious implications about what does this white privileged family that is responsible, if you go back for a lot of the racial strife that exists in the world today by way of colonialism, by way of slavery, uh, having profited off of those institutions and where we, you know, and then playing that forward to where we find ourselves today. It it raises again, it raises questions about whether or not they will, especially after all the tea they've spilled, whether they will be able to be welcomed back into the fold in some way into the royal family or whether this rift is permanent.
0: Yes, so race continues to be one of the topics on the forefront of this battlefield. And another big question I think that has emerged, especially with the Netflix docuseries and Spare coming out so close together, right? Just I think it was maybe a month apart. It
1: was a month apart, yeah.
0: Right. So a lot of people, even people who aren't big royal watchers, have – been asking is this in good taste um like it certainly seems to depart from traditions of the royal family of keeping mum about these private matters
1: talking about Um, putting the same cream that your mother used as moisturizing cream on your nether regions to deal with frostbite is certainly i think not something that anyone really expected we'd be getting out of a prince harry memoir even in it's even in our our I don't want to say wildest dreams, but even in the most extreme (laughs) imagination of what this memoir might include, that was not on the list.
0: Yeah, it was certainly very intimate. And it wasn't just intimate, like you... It was intimate in a lot of ways. It it wasn't just intimate towards other people in the royal family, like Will and Kate and Charles. Like, Harry was very disclosing of himself um, in ways that, yeah, none of us really were ready for.
1: None of us really were ready for. The funny thing that happened was the book leaked, not surprisingly, uh, ahead Mm. of its official release date. And it it happened in a funny way because the book was actually put on shelves in Spain, like in bookstores, accidentally, early. Oh, my gosh. So, there were Is that how it happened? That's how it happened. So then royal <gasps> reporters were flying to Spain to get a cop like the hard copy of the book and getting it translated. And the stories were coming out, you know, piecemeal as people were literally getting through the I book. I can
0: speed read, but not in Spanish. Yeah,
1: it would. Um, <laughs> I, I can read in Spanish, but I cannot I cannot read at a, at a normal pace at, in Spanish. At the pace
0: at which these headlines were dropped, Exactly.
1: Right? They were one after another. And so all the quote unquote juiciest stories or most scandalous stories came out, you know, pretty much before the book came yeah.
0: out. Justin Harry's defense, I have read Spare, and to me it reads like a memoir. Yes. But I also read all of the headlines that came out the week before. And so I went in almost scandalized before having read it, um, which I'm sure is the exact opposite of what Harry wanted from it. Um It's like anything else. When you read it in context, you're like, yeah, this is a pretty intimate, probing, self-reflective account of someone's life. The headlines that that were teased out of it were totally sensationalized.
1: Of course. The thing that I'll and I agree with you, you know, and I think if you've read the memoir, I mean, as you know, we both have, and I also listened to it because I wanted to hear, Harry reads it. So I wanted to hear his voice you know actually telling the stories which was really interesting mm. getting it in cont- getting those headlines in context absolutely does make a difference the thing i'll say is harry is not a novice with the press his the, right. his biggest trigger in life he says his addiction in life is is the press is checking stories and reading like you know all the things that are written about him and mm-hmm. which is not something by the way i would advise anyone to ever do um And, but understand, you know, I mean, it's understandable. It's understandable. It's understandable. Um, So it's just a little interesting to me that he would choose to go and include all of that information, those scandalous stories, quote unquote, in the sense that he must know that that's how it's going to, that that's how it's going to operate. That the press is, of course, going to pick that up. And it's not, yes, they are taking things out of context, but there's nothing untrue in those stories, you know, in those news reports. Like, they're they're not, they're not, it's literally not making it up. They're literally quoting what Harry says in the book. It just is that it doesn't occur in, like, it's not, it's not sandwiched between chapters about him talking about conservation efforts in Africa. So, Mm -hmm. which softens it when you read it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Megan had this really powerful quote in that Netflix docu series about being fed to the wolves, and this was just a, a strange moment where I felt like Harry was feeding the wolves, like was actually feeding the media this really tasty bit of himself um, that, of course, was going to spread like wildfire.
1: Yeah, and it was strange to me as well because it, it, the only thing that I could think of is that he felt like he was maybe trying to reclaim the narrative. That he felt that all his life, scandalous stories had been, true and false, had been leaked about him, about his life, to the press, that other people profited off of those stories being printed. And so I just wonder if there was a feeling on his part than being like, stories are going to be written about me no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going to, like, I'm going to tell the stories myself before anybody else can. And I'm going to be the one. That has ownership of it and profits off of it, not newspaper, not newspapers, uh, with getting exclusives, right? Like, yes, they'll still get the clicks, but they're not going to get the same amount of profit that they would if they broke this story, for example.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, this still leaves the question: Was it in good taste?
1: So, is this in good taste? What a question! Uh, I think that there are two distinct camps on this issue. Two different point of views. One point of view is the pearl clutching point of view that I think a lot of people felt of why would you ever share this? And especially coming from a member of the royal family, this is not (laughs) who literally are probably supposed to be, you know, they're supposed to be the most staid boring people publicly that you can imagine. So there are a lot of people who would think that this is in poor taste. And I mean, I will share that my initial reaction to it was like, excuse me? Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just not, you know, again, I haven't had his lived experience of everything that came up to this moment, but just off the top of, you know, where I'm at in my life and you asked me to write a doc, you know, a a memoir about my life, there are certain things that are not being included in that memoir. Um, Mm -hmm. and Harry said, nope, I'm going to do it. So, you know, I give kudos to him in that sense. Like, you know, there's a certain courage there. And then I think that directly translates to the second camp, you know, the second point of view, which is that. There are some people that say, no, like it is that idea of taste and, you know, like modesty and all of those uh, notions that are sort of, you know, ingrained in us maybe um, Mm -hmm. from society that we've internalized are BS. And, you know, you should tell your own story and that it's even a situation to where he's been his entire life having to hold back from saying anything that doesn't fit uh that wouldn't fit well on a press release so mm-hmm. there i think that that's the you know the other side of the coin
0: yeah and in an interview around the release of spare harry said i am just speaking a language that i think they being the royal family will understand and so that was an interesting twist for me that he knew deliberately that he was sharing very intimate personal stories, but he felt that they had been doing that behind his back for decades. And at least he was doing it transparently.
1: And that's something that is recurrent throughout his interviews, throughout the books, is that he feels strongly that it's not just, for example, the men in gray suits, as they're called, the palace courtiers, the staff who work at Kensington Palace, Buckingham Palace, any of uh, the royal households, he feels that members of the royal family themselves, Will, Kate, Camilla, uh, are...
0: His dad, Charles. His dad,
1: Charles, are the ones who are directly leaking these stories to the British press. And they are the ones behind our palace sources, say, sources close to the palace. And that's a big accusation that's different than just, you know, a disgruntled employee who does, you know, communications secretary who doesn't like Harry and he leaks it on his own. But the point that he makes frequently is that those, even if it is, for example, a staff member who is the one that directly leaks it, they don't leak it without the consent of their bosses, which are Kate, Camilla, Charles, uh, Will. So that is, you know, something to that that's something to factor in in terms of maybe why he's doing this, speaking this way.
0: So, Sean, we could talk forever about <laughs> Spare and the docu-series, and actually we will. We we're going to talk we about will. this over the course of the entire There's no way not season, to. right? Like we'll take it bit by bit. Um, but what should we be looking out for with Meghan and Harry the in big, the upcoming months?
1: The biggest thing you should be looking out for is are they going to attend the coronation? Like, plain and simple, that is the biggest thing. There, are, Everything else is sort of a subset of that. Like, is there gonna be a conversation? Is there gonna be a summit? Are they gonna meet? But it's all about the coronation and are they going to be there? And in what context are they going to be there? You know, like. Uh, right.
0: Front row seat or up in the. And does
1: that prevent that? Like if they don't get good seat, like if they're offered to attend and they're but they're not offered the best seats. Does that mean that they're not going to attend? So that's what we need to keep an eye out for. Okay, so enough about Meghan and Harry, because we could go on about them for forever. Let's talk about Will and Kate, who are now the prince and princess of Wales since uh, the, since Queen Elizabeth II passed away. And obviously, it they're, where they're at directly relates to where Meghan and Harry are at, because Harry has accused his brother of not supporting his relationship with Meghan. Uh, in the memoir, constantly like making digs about her as this American actress. Uh, there's lots of stories that he's shared as well about the cultural difference between Megan and Will and Kate. For example, when they met, uh, he says, again, this all comes from Spare that she was wearing jeans and gave them uh, this big hug for this dinner and they were dressed very formally and Will and Kate were taken aback that she you know hugged them and she was also barefoot the you know the scandal of it all so (laughs) there's uh, there's a lot of stories like that Um, he also shared a really funny story that I thought about how um, at their first sort of big outing when Megan was joining the family. That uh, backstage before they went on, I guess Megan had forgot her lip gloss, and so she mm-hmm. asked Kate if she could borrow hers, and apparently Kate was horrified, like
0: aghast. Yeah,
1: like aghast. Again, according to Harry. Um, so it, there's a lot of little fun tidbits like that, but it puts
0: can I just say that this to me reads like California meets London, thousand percent. in an epic clash of civilizations.
1: California and Hollywood as well. Like, not to, like, you know, put a thing on it, but it's, like, maybe even, maybe not even Hollywood, but, like, L.A., right? Like, L.A. culture and Mm -hmm. that particular subset of California culture. And so, it it definitely, it is the, (laughs) it is a clash of those two cultures on the biggest stage you could probably imagine in the biggest way. Um, And so, the result of that, where we find Will and Kate now, is that they're in a really awkward position, um, y- no matter how you feel about them, right? Like, they're in a position to where they can't really respond to uh, to Megan and Harry and what they've said, unless they want to do— why is that, Sean? Okay, so Will and Kate can't really respond to what Megan and Harry have said, because, as Harry has said, when he was a working member of the royal family, he couldn't just put out a press release or just, like, give an interview. There were so many layers of approval and— standards and traditions of how things are done. And they have this motto of never complain, never explain, which Harry says is BS because he thinks his entire family was explaining through leaking stories uh, to the press. So that's really the only avenue left to them if Mm. they want to get their sort of side out. And we'll never know what of those stories that we see, you know, are from them. Because there's, a you know, all we get is royal sources, like palace sources. It's clear Mm -hmm. that Harry thinks they're all from Will and Kate, but like we don't know. So they're never going to come out and do, at least it would be highly unlikely. I don't want to say never, but it would be a really big deal if they came out and did their own like version of an Oprah interview, right? Right. It would be very different in tone, but they're just not going to do that. because I
0: also don't see them doing it to like correct the record on the lip gloss incident
1: no they're not <laughs> or like the you know which again we don't have time to go into this but google bridesmaids dresses yeah. charlotte <laughs> megan kate um so there are these sort of petty incidents that clearly are not uh it's not about the incident itself you know the only comment which we've gotten about the whole thing is is from william that after the oprah tell all interview happened and it was clear to everyone watching it that they were in- that they were basically accusing the royal family of having racist actions at least you know uh, having done racist things and william was asked at an event i think it was an engagement it was like a day or two after um uh, is the royal family a racist family and he never responds to questions that are being like you know it's like the president right thrown at him yeah thrown at him like you know as the president's about to board the US president's about to board marine 1 and reporters are hurling questions at him and sometimes like trump or biden you know they'll take the bait because they 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 want to do it the royals do not do that and will took the bait and he said we are very much not a racist family so that was a big deal Mm -hmm. now the you know we're in this place where will and kate have this much bigger role because they are the prince and princess of wales and what i can say about that that may help people understand What that really means is that they have their own income now, for the first for his first time in his life. William was William and Kate were always dependent upon his father for from Prince Charles now King Charles. (gasps) No, yes, because King Charles Prince Charles has something called the Duchy of Cornwall, Mm -hmm. and he's the Duke of Cornwall. That. Uh, that piece of land, that territory that he owns, has generates a huge amount of money. Generates really all the money that he provides for Will and Kate for Harry to like run their offices, millions and millions and millions of pounds. So, Will and Kate had to get their money from Daddy, basically. And so did oh so did Harry. But Will and Kate now have that. That's theirs. They've inherited that by <laughs> so virtually. they
0: inherited land. And therefore money. And therefore money. And so they control their own purse strings.
1: Yes. They have more power to do what it is they want, to make their own decisions about their staff, about what projects they take on, and their living. So they're in a really, they're in a more, they're in a position where they are more uh, in the limelight and under fire than maybe they've ever been. But they also have more power probably than they've ever had
0: okay so for our last royal duo Mm -hmm. king charles and camilla
1: queen camilla
0: queen Queen, do we say queen camilla do we say queen consort well
1: that's a whole debate right there and maybe we should begin with that because that's you know that's a point of uh conversation about you know her title but uh camilla let's just talk very quickly about her journey to where she is today and why her becoming queen is a big deal she was the side chick like she was charles's mistress she was the third what princess diana called the third person in their marriage, Prince Charles is married to Princess Diana, who died in 1997 in a car crash. They had already been divorced. That divorce uh, was very much tied to Charles's relationship with Camilla. Uh, she was someone that the royal family did not approve of when they were dating. And so he was forced to give her up, as it were. And so then he was presented with the virginal 19 year old uh, Spencer. Uh, more British and more aristocratic and blue-blooded than the royals themselves, Diane, Lady Diana Spencer, and that was the person that she was, that was put in front of him as his as the best choice for his wife. He never mm-hmm. gave up his love for Camilla, and that really and she became once it was out about their relationship, in the press, she became a villain. She became the villain in this fairy tale, and. Camilla got to such a point to where she was. She divorced her husband because she was married. She was Mrs. Camilla Parker Bowles, so she is a divorcee, and the king is a divorcee. Uh, first time in British history, uh, you know that has happened because even though King Henry VIII had multiple wives, there was no divorce. <laughs> it was either death or annulment. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't. It's another podcast, but it's. Uh, the evolution of her being the most hated woman in Britain and being one of the most hated women in the world to now having the majority of Britain's support. And on top of that, when she married Charles in 2005, so uh, what, eight years after Princess Diana died, the plan was they knew that people were gonna be upset about this. And that the, they being the royal family, Mm -hmm. And so the idea of Camilla becoming queen was a sensitive subject. And they decided Camilla won't be queen. They made a a press release, an announcement saying when Charles becomes king, she will be known as princess consort. Kind of in the way that uh, Prince Philip was prince consort to Queen Elizabeth. Which is a whole other thing because there's gender and stuff involved in that. But... That was the plan. And that was and that she wouldn't be known, even though he was the Prince of Wales at the time, that she would not be known as Princess of Wales, even though she technically was. And because yeah. and that's because Diana was the Princess of Wales. And, right. and having Camilla become the Princess of Wales, it was just this too.
0: It, it's too sensitive. You can't replace one Princess of Wales with the other when that has effectively happened in the marriage. Y-
1: exactly. It just would be way too messy. So mm-hmm. But she waged a, and this is fair to say because, you know, Harry talks about this in his memoir, but it's also well documented elsewhere. She waged a PR war, like a slow PR war ever since after the death of Diana to ingratiate herself with the royal family and with the public to gain approval and gain favor back. And she was a heart, you know, she, the queen who would not even like meet with her, you know, for the longest time. Uh, she didn't attend Charles and her wedding, which had to be a civil wedding. Couldn't be like in a church. No, she like attended the, there was like a blessing afterwards, but she didn't attend the actual wedding. So she actually grew to like her because Camilla did the thing that, you know, the queen and other royals wanted people to do, which is keep calm, carry on, don't explain, like, uh, you know, never exp- complain, never explain, and just went on with the job. But. Behind the scenes, she was making these efforts to, for that Harry accuses her, for example, of leaking stories about him using like uh, smoky marijuana, using drugs to make uh, to get the headlines off of her, basically.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say there is a cost to this, to Camilla rectifying her image before England. Like she has to do so by exacting some blood in the rest of the royal family.
1: Right, but which blood that was spilt that we might not, again, you know, we assume that we have to base this on the reports we have, you know, we'll never get, we'll probably never get Camilla's point of view on this um, directly. But yeah, from Harry's perspective, at least, like blood that was being spilt behind the scenes that nobody else knew about. And Mm -hmm. so it was this very subtle, you know, she had, uh, you know, 15, more than 15 years, effectively, to slowly make her way, uh, improve her reputation. And Mm -hmm. so that's, so right before the queen died, she getting back to this title and where she is now, right before the queen died, she made an announcement, she made a statement saying, it is very much my hope that when Charles uh, becomes king, that Camilla will get the title of queen consort. Mm. And so, but everyone was still unclear until Charles took the throne. They were like, is this really what's gonna happen? But we assumed it was, and Camilla, is in fact queen. So she went from the other woman to the queen of Great Britain, to the queen of England. And that is quite a journey. Um, and to the point about queen or queen consort, it's, you know, it, she technically is the queen consort, but mm-hmm. so are all queens who have, you know, like uh, Queen uh, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth II's mother, who was married uh, to King George, she was just, people just call her like, the Queen, you know, Queen Elizabeth. Sure. but I think that there is a sensitivity, uh, certainly in the the statements that come out from uh, King Charles and from Buckingham Palace. She is often, I think, she is almost exclusively referred to as Queen Consort, and I think that that is sort of their one little like, you know, concession, n- concession to maybe popular resi- mm. any any corner of you know the British public that may be resistant or not like that she has that title.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, what about Charles? Will he be a good king? Do we want him as king? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs>
1: casual. So, you know, Charles is, again, like Charles is the focus of what we're doing. And I know it may not seem that way, dear listener, <laughs> but he really is because all of this, again, impacts him. Like this is all more important. This is all more important because King Charles is now King Charles and not Prince Charles. It can't just all these dramas can't just simmer in the background maybe as they would have. They're all they're all much more important now. There's so much more at stake because at this point there are conversations about what's the point of the monarchy? Like why are we doing this? Uh the majority of Britons still do support the monarchy, but to your question about do they want Charles? Uh, Hmm. There's always been sort of these colloquial conversations, both in the U.S. and uh, in the U.K., being like, can't we just skip Charles and go straight to William? Um, There were even sort of like these, uh, there were conspiracy theories that Diana was trying to, like, Lady Macbeth this and get uh, William to, you know, have the line of succession, like, go past Charles and go to William. I mean, again, conspiracy Hmm. theories. But so this is something that's been in the popular imagination, this conversation. And, you know, from what I've heard coll- colloquially talking with Brits, um, uh, <laughs> friendships I have built a lot of because of, you know, my, my work in this field, uh, there is sort of a feeling of he's a placeholder, you know, but in some circles. Um, other people are very, you know, loyal and uh, and very I think there is an effort as well to bring attention to things that Charles has done that a lot of people may not know about that are. That we think that i think we would all agree are good for example mm-hmm. his focus on the environment uh sure. he raised issues about climate change and um uh, about uh, you know global warming and a lot of green issues that in the 70s and was laughed at was mocked at it for it was mocked for it and today he looks like a pioneer you know for for having done that um but that then directly relates into a question of how outspoken is he going to be as a king because traditionally the constitutional role which also interestingly enough the british constitution is unwritten unlike the american constitution it's based on tradition that leads directly into a question though about how outspoken charles is going to be as king because traditionally the monarch in a constitutional monarchy doesn't get involved in political issues, doesn't voice their opinion on specific matters. The Prince of Wales was able to do that much more, but still has to do it in a sort of neutral way, like talking about the environment, something that now is, at least in Britain, considered to be not really a political issue, right? Um, In the US and other places it is. Mm -hmm. But now people are wondering, you know, Or previously the conversation was... Is it going to be bad and destroy the monarchy if he is meddlesome, the meddlesome monarch, if he is getting involved in the conversation about politics because he's had this history of like writing government ministers before? They're called the Black Spider memos, and people found it was like really inappropriate that he was, you know, asking members of parliament all these questions when he was Prince of Wales. And so there's been all this controversy, right, about what is he going to do as king. But now there are actually some people who are saying. He should be, quote unquote, meddlesome that in the 21st century, the only way the monarchy can stay relevant is if they're not just sitting around being the head of state who doesn't say anything, which is what mm-hmm. Queen Elizabeth did. So there's some tension going on there and we don't really know what kind of king he's going to be uh, mm-hmm. so that is in terms of things to look for about King Charles. That's something to look for, is what hints are we going to get about is he going to be like his mother and really, you know, step back and be this sort of neutral person who doesn't let on his own feelings about anything, his own opinions about anything now, even though we have, you know, decades of uh, history about what he thinks about certain things? Or is he going to, you know, take his own approach Um, and... Obviously, what we're looking at now is the coronation. What is that coronation going to look like? Coronation is happening May 6th, uh, the big event that we are leading up to, and there's already a lot of stories, you know, coming out about that, about it, you know, being slimmed down, a a slimmed down coronation, trying to make it feel less maybe ostentatious. But at the end of the day, there's still going to be these huge crown jewels sitting atop, uh, you know, Charles and Camilla's head. And there's going to be questions about... What, uh, how, where they were
0: derived from? Where they 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 were were, ethically derived? Or, or I mean, that's a whole
1: conversation, you know. Yeah. A part
0: of colonial raping of these different continents and countries. Exactly.
1: And just, like, the privilege, right? Like, the ostentatiousness of elevating these white privileged people and all their regalia. And it it is just going to lead to questions like, well, what are they good for? You know? Um, Mm -hmm. and, People and and there are arguments for there you know, compelling arguments for what they are good for. But it's just going to be something that I think we have to keep an eye on is how much do those conversations take over the entire narrative of the coronation and are even like existing plans of the coronation going to have to change because of potential public reaction. So that's a little catch up. A little foundation, a little primer for all of you about where we are with the royal family, royal headlines that have happened in the intervening years since you last heard from us, and what to look for now. And those, you know, those questions that we've kind of raised of what to look for now are gonna be really what drive our conversations. So, just like season one, when we were leading up to the royal wedding and anticipating that as our big final event. This time around, we're looking to King Charles's coronation. And again, just like last time, these moments, these big historic moments are a way in to understanding and looking at so many more issues and questions about the royal family than just these singular events. So I'm really excited that we get to dive back into all of this with all of you. So tune in to season two of Spilling Royalty every Thursday on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Spilling Royalty is a production of the TMZ Audio Network. It's produced by Maggie Van Dorn, Wild Young is our in-studio producer. Make sure you never miss an episode and subscribe or follow Spilling Royalty on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, share it with a friend or someone you know who likes to spill the tea. You can also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing Spilling Royalty on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Sean Mandel. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk next week.